session with Dr. Farid Hulaku. Good afternoon. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Jalakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Again, our studio number 310-441-0555. So this is my last show for 2021. Uh, I think for many of us, since the pandemic has started, time and the calendar and the years are going by in a way that feels quite different and actually the book I'm reading this week that I'll talk about on Monday's show is about looking at time and how we view our time. It's called 4,000 uh, 4, Weeks. Uh, so looking forward to finishing that up and talking with you on, about it on Monday. But for many people, these last couple of years have felt very different and they have been, um, especially things like this feeling of what does last year mean? I remember especially in uh, earlier when I would think of last summer, you would think of two years ago sometimes because the previous summer you really didn't do much, whereas you might have done more before. And so the way we kept track of time has definitely changed and become something quite different. So on Monday's show, I'll probably get into that a little bit more since it, it is a book about time. I'll share some more of my thoughts about that. But what I wanted to talk about today is something that probably many people are thinking about or will start thinking about, especially in the next few days, things like New Year's resolutions and New Year's goals, what we're going to do in 2022 uh, and all the, the things we hope to accomplish. I might get more into the details of the goals in the next segment, but right now I wanted to talk about something um, that we see affecting the ways we think about our future self and the goals we can achieve or we're going to achieve. Uh, get ready to see a lot of posts saying things like new year, new you. Um, but I have news for you that you're going to be the same you. Doesn't mean you can't grow and evolve and set goals. I'm all about that actually. But there is a way that we think of our future self in a way that's not realistic and even research shows us that the way that we think of our future self is different from the way we view our current self, which is quite interesting. So when they do fMRI studies and look at the brain and they have someone think about themselves, there's certain parts of the brain that are more likely to light up. And if they keep thinking about themselves, those parts light up. And then if you ask them to think about someone else, that part of the brain is less likely to light up. Other parts light up more. And the more different the person feels from you, the more likely it is that your brain will look different from when you're thinking about yourself. So it's interesting, that part of it as well. But what's really interesting is when you think of your future self, no longer does that part of your brain light up that is related to the present self. 
So in a way, it's almost like we see our future selves as a stranger or as someone different from us, as not us. And of course, we could get into arguments or discussions about what is the sense of self? Is there really a one sense of self of me? Um, is that a stable thing? And, and I think those are actually quite interesting arguments and discussions to have. But here, we'll just come back to the sense of this enduring self that is me in this, let's say, physical body, even that changes, but that goes forward. And how I see this me in a year differently than I see the me today. And so this can make sense because when I'm me right now, I feel everything that I'm feeling or experiencing, or if I think of doing something, I can directly feel it. But when I think of my future self, I don't have to feel those things. I really can't feel what I'm feeling five years from now. I can assume it'll be related to what I feel now or experience now, but I don't have to feel it. And this is why we can be so idealistic about our future self. We can think, okay, starting January 1st, 2021, even though I haven't gone running for a long time, I'm going to wake up every morning at 5 a.m. and go run every single day. Why not? Why can't I do it? And there's some truth to that. Why can't you do it? You can, but there is this notion that we have to recognize the you that's going into 2022 is still the same you that is here. Yes, we're changing and evolving, but we shouldn't expect that all of a sudden the calendar changes and you're going to be a completely different person. And so this is why there's lots of reasons why we set goals and they they don't come true or we fail to achieve them. They're just it's just hard to change to begin with. But also we don't make realistic or the right types of goals at times. So if you have a hard time with cigarettes and you say all of a sudden January 1st, I'm never going to smoke again. Well, you might be setting yourself up for failure, or at least very likely to fail because the goal is not taking you into account, the actual you that exists because you're imagining this idealized future you. And so, yes, we should think about how can I become the best version of myself and go towards that. I think that's actually quite important and something we always want to be thinking about and evaluating. But one of the issues I see coming up when people set goals or try to think of how they want to get to somewhere else is that if we think new year, new me, new year, new you, you're going to be this different person, then we don't take into account enough ourselves, our strengths, our weaknesses, what has worked for us in the past, what hasn't worked for us, what we would need to do differently to achieve our goals. It's almost like this different person is going to be doing it. So I'll just do it. And that obviously is less likely to work than realizing, you know what, it's still going to be me next year. I actually have a hard time waking up so early. Or if I want to wake up that early, I need to change my night schedule so I sleep earlier if I want to wake up and, and work out. And is every day too much at the beginning that I'll give up? And that's another problem. We set these goals and we can be so black and white in our thinking that once we don't achieve the goal or we fail at achieving it perfectly, we give up completely. So you say, I'm going to run every day. You do it three days, you take a day off, and I'm like, well, I already failed, so who cares? And we just give up completely on that. And that's unfortunate. This is why actually I think we should think about the value or the reason why we're achieving the goal and then come up with a specific metric for it. So let's say you want to get healthier or lose some weight or get in shape. That's something you're trying to go towards, which is more abstract. And then you come up with a specific goal like exercising X number of times a week, 
but you have to recognize that you're still going towards that uh, value or that aspiration of, let's say, being healthier. And so even if you don't achieve the goal, don't give up on it completely. You haven't failed at the goal. You have just had a setback at achieving it in exactly the way you had planned out, which is almost always going to be the case. Rarely do you meet your plan exactly. The plan is more of a map or a guiding force, not something that's going to dictate exactly what happens. And so if we think that it's going to be a different us in the future, which we know our brain has a tendency or really that's how it thinks of us, we're less likely to think about actually who we are, what works for us individually and what doesn't work. Another issue that comes up related to this idealized view, and it relates to what I was saying before, is we don't have to feel the pain of that future self when we think about it. It's like, well, why wouldn't I wake up at 5 a.m. and just put my shoes on and go running? You can, and of course people do, and it's not that you can't do that, but if it's hard for you to do that or you haven't, well, of course you know that when you wake up at 5, there's going to be a strong pull from your brain and body saying go back to sleep because you feel so tired. And here's where we get really good at mental gymnastics and find a way to do the easier thing. And you'll say, well, you know, maybe I should start tomorrow or I should get new shoes or you know what? It's actually really cold. Maybe it's even bad for me to run this morning. It's bad for my health. I said I want to be healthier. And so we can be incredibly good at finding a way to do the easier thing in the moment. Often we'll talk about addiction and how people who have an addiction can be very, very good at finding a reason why they should use um, because it's the thing that feels better. You know what? I like starting on a Monday and maybe it'll make sense for me to use really hard this weekend so I get it out of my system and then I never want to do it again. We always find a way, but in general, it's not just a thing that addicts do. All humans, we have a tendency to go towards that short-term comfort and gratification. And so we, we find a way. So if you just think of ourselves now and why wouldn't I do all these things? Well, it's because we're not thinking about the pain. And this also contributes to things like procrastination. Okay, I have to study now. You open the book. You get a little bit anxious or bored. And you say, you know what? Tomorrow, I'm just going to wake up and study 10 hours straight. I'm just going to keep studying. Why, why can't I? If I do 10 hours straight, I don't even need 10 hours. I could do nine and take a break. It's so easy. But what we're forgetting is that it's the same you tomorrow that feels the same way. If it's hard for you to study right now, it's still going to be hard for you to study tomorrow. And maybe even you'll feel more pressure or stress because let's say the test is closer. It could even be more difficult to study tomorrow in some ways. And that it's something we have to recognize is you're not going to feel different tomorrow about studying. This is just your way of tricking yourself to take the easier way out. So when you set your goals, try to remember and take some time to connect to that future self using your present self. Okay, what does it feel like for me to wake up at five in the morning? Ooh, I, I hate it. I really don't like it. So maybe that's not going to work and you might even adjust the goal. And so this is why I think it could be dangerous when we think of new year, new you, because we imagine just this idealized sense of self that isn't realistic at all. So of course, you're not going to achieve that goal. Anything that's hard for you do, to do today is going to be hard for you to do tomorrow. doesn't mean you can't do it, but to don't th not to think of it in a way that I can just easily figure it out f in the future. And this also, of course, when we say there's this parallel that when we think of our future self, it's like a stranger or it's not us. It's something you can keep in mind when you think about what happens to other people or the actions or behaviors of other people. 
on Monday's show, I was talking about parent shaming and how people are very quick to judge parents, usually if they're parents themselves, but sometimes even if they're not, of what they're doing wrong as a parent and how bad they are. But we do this in all areas of life where we look at what someone's doing and we're very good at saying, oh, I would never do that. You know, if I was in that situation and this was happening, I would never have acted that way. But that's because you're sitting in the comfort of your life, not facing that pain and what that person was going through. And it's easy to make the good decision now. This actually comes up with parents that I work with in therapy because sometimes we'll explore something that's going on with their child and they'll say, here's an interaction I had and I said this. And let's say they said something really harsh or mean or was not good for the relationship for the child. And we'll work through some things they could have said and I might suggest something to give an idea of the type of thing that might have been good in that scenario. And I can sometimes see in their face this feeling, of, oh, like, you're right. I should have said that. You're, you're so right about that. That's what I should have said. And I try to comfort them, not just saying something to comfort them, but the genuine truth is I say, look, I'm sitting here with no stress in a comfortable chair. Nothing is going on. It's very easy for me to come up with some ideas in this state of mind and in this state of what's going on. You were trying to get your kids out of the house. One kid was crying. The other one was doing this. You were running late. It's obvious that it's going to be a little bit harder to be the most calm and think things as through in that moment. So it could be good to remember this in that other angle as well of how do we judge others uh, about what it's like to be in that situation and know that you can try. This is part of empathy, part of we can use our imagination and use our brains to try to imagine what it's like, but to know that you don't know. You know, it's like if someone says, if you were freezing to death, would you do this? Now you can think about it and sometimes these conversations are fun in a way of just like exploring or wondering, but to think you'd really know what you would feel like and what you would do if you were literally freezing to death, you were that cold, I think you have to just be aware that whatever you say, take it with a, not just a grain of salt, a pinch of salt when you um, share whatever that is. So I think I would do this, but really you don't know. Or, you know, people sometimes is a pretty horrific thing. They're in a burning building. They just jump out of the building. And you might think, I would never do that. I would try to find a way through or whatever. But you don't know. And it seems like a lot of people do that. Actually, it would probably make sense for you to think, maybe I would do that. Because you just don't know what else to do. You're burning. Your body is telling you to go away from that, that heat. And maybe actually there is a better chance of survival of jumping out of the building anyway. But still, you can get maybe that if you were in that type of heat where it's literally burning you alive, you would just jump out to where it's cooler, even if that's out of the building. So it could be important to keep this in mind that we are not good at knowing what it's like exactly to feel a certain way and then to determine what we would do based on that. And coming back to the original point, we unfortunately do that with ourselves as well. And so we have to be a little bit more realistic. I'm all about setting big goals and dreaming big and going for it really big. So it's not about that, but it's realizing that these are the ways that we might get in our own way because we're not thinking through what it's actually like to be us. Yes, new year, but same you. And I also don't like when people say new year, new you, because in a way it's saying the current you is unacceptable or unlovable. And I'm reminded of Carl Rogers' quote of the, the curious paradox is only when I accept myself as I am, then can I change. So we have to love and accept ourselves as we are. It's not a new you, it'll be the same you, and a you that will hopefully grow and evolve. You can achieve things and set goals, but it's not gonna be a different you that magically wakes up January 1st, 2022.
So if we talk about goals later on today's show, we'll keep some of those things in mind. Let's go to a commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. Studio number 3104410555. Let's go to a caller, Radio Hamra. You're on the air. Hi, Dr. Farid. Hi, thanks for Thank calling. Thank you so much for taking my call. My pleasure, my pleasure. Um, I'm a 54 year old woman, and um, I actually have been divorced twice. And I have two kids 26 year old and 23 year old. My daughter, who's 23, lives with me. And uh, I have a very difficult time in forming uh, a very serious relationship with anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the latest that has happened, um, well, first of all, my belief is not no sex before marriage. And that's one of the biggest obstacles that I'm finding in uh, finding a relationship. Um, recently, I mean, six months ago, I moved to a different state and through online, I met a guy uh, who's 62, and um, he, we started out thinking this is not going to be any serious because he smokes, and that's one of the things that I don't like, and uh, we just started as a friend, and he became very, very um, supportive, helping me find a, you know, a house to buy, you know, and uh, so many ways he became, like, um, very, very supportive, and his kindness really made me uh, think about a relationship and he made it very clear that he wants to have a relationship with me but he's not into having a marriage um do you have any questions or yeah well I just you know this on? um you know there's um two main places we can go we can talk about him individually in that relationship which we should but also this uh, sex before marriage of course it's a personal if you want to call it belief or framework for what you want to do um, or not do. Uh, but it could be worth looking at. I'm not here to try to change your mind about it, but sometimes we can look at the reason why we have a certain rule for ourselves might not apply to where our life is at now. And it could be that mm-hmm. it's coming from somewhere else. So I'm not saying that you should not do that. And I also, if you're okay exploring this issue, we can go a little deeper to see what else, because for some people, sex before marriage means no intercourse before marriage but everything else is okay i don't know what it means for you and where that value or um yeah if you want to call it a value comes from yeah for me um not only the intercourse but um i mean kissing holding hands hugging you know touching all these are okay as long as it doesn't become very sexual okay um and, and okay and where does that i mean i'm sure it's uh, you know it's going to be for many factors but where where do you see that coming from how do you understand this within yourself i've seen it because um for number one it's a religious belief and i know that at times i have broken that rule mm-hmm. with other men and that has caused me a lot of pain and regret um so that's why i became more even more strict mm-hmm. uh, in regards as i quickly tell them that I don't have sex before marriage and many times even the first date doesn't happen because I, I say that over the phone before I meet them. Mm-hmm. Which doesn't necessarily mean they were expecting sex on the first date 
but if they know that's where you are at, it also tells them something about you in general. They're, obviously, you'll be more conservative or there's something about you that right. might not be a match with them. Um, I understand, you know, there's an anxiety seems like you have of it's going to become an issue. So let me tell them quickly. I don't think it's necessary to say it before the first date um, because, you know, it's not necessarily something, you know, we could talk about what you're looking for in general, too, in the first date, second date about marriage or not marriage, things like that. But I think there, I could feel already there's this anxiety that this is going to be an issue. So you almost try to get it out of the way, but it might actually get in the way. Mm -hmm because of that yes and um it definitely causes issues um so with this man that i met um about 11 years ago um he lost his 20 year old daughter mm. to bulimia and uh him and his ex his wife suggested to be separated so you know he said okay permanently we're going to get separated so they have not finalized their divorce for 11 years okay and, um, any reason why? Did he explain why they didn't actually go through with the divorce part? He he pointed out that, oh, you know, uh, we just didn't see the need for it. Neither her nor me were going to get married. So we just left it like that. We agreed on everything. I mean, he has a lot of assets. So they already agreed okay. on assets, you know, what's going to be hers and what's going to be his. Um, but I feel that... Um, He's, I mean, he told me many times that he does not want to get married. Mm -hmm. But later on, he would say, well, you know, if I fall in love or, you know, some, I mean, I, I cannot make that commitment going into a relationship saying that I want to, I'm going to get married, but we have to see what happens. Okay. How long has it been? You said, did you say six months? Um, we've known each other for three months. Okay. And uh, recently, um, you know, the more I thought about this, you know, no sex before marriage, I thought maybe I'm just being too um, strict and maybe I'm missing out on good opportunities with some good man because he's been really, really amazingly kind to me and he's never pressured me before to have sex with him. Um, so I told him, I said, you know, I'm open to that. Um, so this happened recently while he already planned to go to Iran and stay for, you know, two, three months there. And he said, I might even come back and decide that I want to go back to Iran and stay there permanently. Mm -hmm. And um, he's leaving this Sunday. And he told me that um, before I leave, you know, let's go and get a hotel and, you know, make love and all that uh, before I leave for Iran. My question kept coming up is saying, what about, you know, I don't feel, I don't know if I feel comfortable about your divorce, why haven't you, you know, like, I feel like the pain of loss of his daughter, you know, has, has him attached to his ex, that he cannot let go of that marriage as much, you know, and, um, and also told him that the, 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 thing is that he might even go and stay in Iran and for me to have uh, intimacy with him uh, might cause me emotional uh, attachment and then hurt me more in the future. Mm -hmm. So I don't know whether that decision was the right one. Uh, and he keeps saying, well, why do you have to, re I mean, think, overthink everything? You know, why can't you just 
let go. Life is too short, you know, and just enjoy life while you have it. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And mm-hmm. um, part of me wants that because um, I haven't been intimate with anyone for a long time. And part of me is scared. Okay. Um, so, um, the you know, it, this is complicated because in some ways the overall rule that you have about sex before marriage to me it is personal but there's it's complicated because usually the religious belief is no sex before marriage and then you're married and that's it but there's mm-hmm. it's yeah. not planning for divorce and then what do you do after that but it could feel the same way um and it's not that i'm suggesting you should be having sex before you get married but that's what i meant and we can maybe uh, talk a bit more about that in depth of what does that belief mean to you? Usually these types of beliefs get so internalized and become so rigid that it's not about really looking at it. It's just, it's wrong and that's it. And that's it's just black and white. You know, it just doesn't have, there's no room for critical thinking or arguing about it. And I think it feels that way to you. Now, that being said, um, with him leaving Sunday, obviously it's going to be your, your choice of what to do here. But I could see that that could be a way that, it, you know, you have to ask yourself, would I... We can't know for sure. It goes back to what I was talking about actually in the last segment about our future selves. You won't know for sure what you're going to feel. Um, but could I regret that or feel bad about it if if I did it in this circumstance when I know he's he's going? And there's a way that he's pushing it a little bit. I know you said he hasn't put pressure, but it seems like he is right now putting a pressure on you to, to do case, that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, I could, I could see how it feels different. So, yeah, there's... Um, you know, part of you, as you said, there's obviously desire and you want to experience it and you might even want to feel like, well, I don't want to be stuck in this way and just l- maybe let go some of those things he was saying, although it does seem like he was really trying to push you to convince you. Um, and all of a sudden, everyone becomes like a uh, a life guru when they want to get someone to do something. Life is short and enjoy it and, you know, do these things. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, they become very good at trying to tell us that we should do what they, they want us to do. <laughs> so um, that that's the part that didn't feel kind of right to me. doesn't mean it's the wrong decision for you to, to go ahead and do that. But I could have a concern because you have not uh, you know, you done that, that it could make you feel bad in this circumstance if then he's going and he might not even come back, that you could feel bad. It's still going to be something for you to, to consider. Where, where are you at right now with it? Where are you on the decision? Well, I already told him that I wasn't going. Okay. I wasn't going to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I told him it's not the, it's not because I don't want to become intimate with you. I'm very attracted to you. Um, the reason being, number one, is that you might stay in Iran, and um, you know, with becoming intimate is going to create that bond, and it's going to you know really hurt me um, down the line. And second, um, your divorce is not final, and I'd rather you know be building a serious relationship with you when you are totally detached from your past. Mm-hmm. And he said, okay, that's perfectly fine. Yeah. And I, based on what you're telling me, there's a, you know, there's a few things that worry you like the, the divorce not being official. Um, mm-hmm. And what does that mean? It could just be a formality, but there's something there. And the fact that he says he's going and might not come back now. Yeah. He, you could, there, there's, Usually these things, there's not a black and white. There's something to what he's saying. You can enjoy the experience and, and be with him in that way. Um, uh, like I said, for me, this I know is very, it's pressing in the sense that it's in the next few days. But this overall feeling you might have, 
you know, there's something about what he's saying that could be true of letting yourself experience things, not just in the sexual way, but do you try to protect yourself in other ways too and not let go in some ways that might actually be necessary to, to enjoy life and enjoy yourself in different ways? And in relationships in general, not just sexually, do you hold yourself back? You mentioned two divorces, so it's possible there's something there of an expectation that you can get hurt or will get hurt if you get close or open up, um, which could create an ambivalence. Most people have, you know, we talk about fear of intimacy. I even use it sometimes and say, oh, this person has a fear of intimacy. But really all human beings have this paradoxical relationship with intimacy where you really desire it, but we also fear it. We want mm -hmm. to get close, feel seen, feel uh, you know, even attached to someone, have that type of a connection with someone. But it's also very scary because we can get hurt by them. And the closer you get, the more it hurts. And so that can be scary too. So we tend to have this paradox. And what we hope we do is we recognize the fear is there, but still go forward anyway. And by go forward, it doesn't mean without thinking about it and not using our head at all, but that we don't hold back from it, that we make a decision that, you know what, I want to you know, go forward. Just like having kids, um, it's the most beautiful and meaningful experience we probably can have as human beings. But of course, anything that can happen to them is the scariest thing and creates this uh, uh, opportunity for us to face the worst pain we can experience as human beings if anything happens to them. So, but we're taking that risk anyway. We're saying it's worth it. And so with relationships, it's a similar thing. There's a fear, but we have to go forward. Now, for you, that fear maybe has grown in size over the years of what you've been through. Um, and what I want to do is we're yeah. about to go to commercial break. Share your thought there, and then we'll talk some more after break. We'll go ahead. Yeah, the thing is that one one sentence that he said that made me think that this is very a casual thing for him is that he said, oh, you know, let's say that we do it, and I go to Iran, and then you later on tell me, oh, I found someone, and I'm not interested in being with you anymore. That's perfectly fine with me. <laughs> It's almost, yeah, I think he's telling you what he wants to happen, but, um, exactly. but you know, kind of the, no strings attached in a way, which it yeah. seems like that's the, the situation that you are in. So, you know, that's why, like I said, it's a kind of interesting in a way. I feel like you're, this rule is making you, it's not just about the rule itself. I think it's make, it's related to this rigidity you might have when it comes to relationships and dating. Um, but this situation might not be the right place to change or break that rule because of the circumstances. Of course, you're going to have to make that decision on your own. So let's do this. We're going to go to a commercial break, but after the okay. break, we'll come back and talk some more, okay? Okay, sounds good. All Thanks. right. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Before the break, we were with a caller. Let's go back to them now. Caller, are you still there? Yes, I am. Thank okay, you so much. sure. Okay, so we were, you know, getting to things that, as I mentioned, there's a specific thing coming up, especially with this gentleman and figuring out what to do. But I also think the bigger picture of it is uh, more significant uh, and, and something for really for you to look at more closely. I do want to get into that aspect of yourself and in relationships. Do you see some of that in yourself, a fear of getting close, or is there any of that that you can, and can notice in yourself? Um, I do, because okay. most of my relationships have been long distance, mm -hmm. so I feel like I unconsciously yeah. just, uh, you know, look at some things that are not going to happen. Yeah, that's something I, 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 I call it distant gratification. Sometimes we seek a pleasure <laughs> that's far away because it's safer that way. 
Uh, and it's right. good to be aware of that pattern because if you notice it, you realize there's, it's not by coincidence. You know, sometimes people say, oh, there's no good guys in L.A. or good girls here or wherever they live. There's no they're Somehow they're always far away. And so mm-hmm. when that's the case, we do have to look at it's probably not just, you know, randomly or luck luckily it's happening that way it's probably a reason why so yeah so you've been you choose people that are far away because there's less risk in getting close and all the things that come up with it and also of course the sexual side of things is is off the table in a certain way so i'm sure that makes it safer for you as well yeah and um what what is interesting to me is that uh, two things that i normally I'm very sensitive about. Um, I have kind of like let go with this this man, even though I told him, "Well, will you be able to quit your smoking at some point?" Um, I see him drinking every time we're together. He has a glass of whiskey or wine, or um, and I don't drink. Mm-hmm. Um, so it seems like there are a lot of things that. Um, I, I told myself many times I'm never gonna be with somebody who smokes, for example, or uh, drinks, you know, this level. You know, a, a glass of wine here and there is okay, but not like hard liquor like that. Um, but in his case, I have made an exception, it seems like, and this is almost the first time um, beside my second, you know, husband that uh, this relationship is a local relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, Wait, so your first husband was not local? Yeah, he, he, actually, <laughs> the first ex, um, he was living, yeah, that wasn't local, and we only need, knew each other for two weeks. We got engaged, and after three months, we got married. I mean, that was something very... Wow, um, okay. How old were you then? 24. 24, and you met only for a few weeks. And, and while you were married, you lived in separate cities or countries? Yes. What what's what were the cities like? How far apart? Like a three-hour drive. Okay, and why was that? That you had to be apart. Um, it was just that happened. We met each other um, through his cousin, and then um, the families were so strict that they kept saying that, oh, if you want to get to know each other, you have to get engaged. Um, so you know, uh, I didn't have much experience. I, I mean, no experience whatsoever with men. So I agreed to that, and and that's what happened. Mm-hmm. We had a ten-year marriage and two kids. Ten year, okay. So there's a two kids are from that. Yes. You know, you said something about it kind of happened. Um, there's a quote by Carl Jung where he says, "Until you make the con- unconscious conscious, it will direct your life, and you will call it fate." And so, <laughs> you know, at times we think, "Well, just something happened." Um, and it's not to say, that, of course, life does have a lot of luck and things happen. So it's not to say none of it is. But often, and as you recognize, oh, the long distance relationships, it could have been something to say, oh, it's fate or it's luck. But, you know, you're realizing there's something there. It's possible even that marriage, there might have been something there um, that might have made that the type of marriage that felt c- more comfortable for you. Yeah. Another thing is that um, I've never been um, very comfortable uh, as far as the sex sexually goes. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually had a, a situation where I would tighten up and the intercourse was very painful for me. Hmm. Um, in, in your marriage? I didn't realize while I was married, yes. Well, okay. Now, is there anything in your past, any kind of sexual abuse or assault that has happened? 
Um, when I was younger, I think the only thing that I can remember was my cousin who was mm. trying to rape me. Wow. Um, that's the only thing that I can think about okay. you know, in my childhood. How old were you? But nothing happened. Okay. How old were you when that happened? Probably was like seven, eight, or nine years old. And how old was your cousin? Three years older. Okay. Um, and you fought him off, or what, what was? Yes, I, I, I actually. I mean, it seems like you know the the one incident um, that was a little bit of touching, and uh, I I don't know what happened that I got away. I don't remember really. Hmm. Um, but then after I don't know how long, when we got older, uh, we were playing hide and seek, and. He wanted to hide with me and he said well do you want to do what we did when we were younger and I realized what he's talking about and mm -hmm. I ran away from him huh okay yeah um, those obviously can have an effect on you um, mm -hmm. along with I'm wondering how sex was talked about or the values in most Iranian homes uh, and you mentioned the religious part there's definitely even more on women this pressure to not be sexual and more than just pressure you're told how bad you are if you do it or there's different degrees that that happens what was that like in your family well my dad was an alcoholic okay and uh, most of my teenage life he was an, a drug addict hmm. um, I remember when I was younger I was sleeping in the same room or bed with my parents and I used to hear you know my dad would get drunk at night and he wanted to have sex with my mom and he, she would push him away. Hmm. So that's what I can yeah. I remember growing up. How how old were years. you? Yeah, how old were you at the old? Or I guess what range was that happening? It was before I was ten. Okay, and and what was the reason you were sleeping in their bed? I think it was because you know it was you know those back in Iran mattresses you know they would have on the floor and. Um, I, you know, we were, we didn't, I don't know whether we didn't have enough rooms or what happened because there were five of us, um, that I was the youngest and mm -hmm. I was sleeping next to my mom. Okay. Was any of it like, were you anxious about sleeping alone or anything like that? No. No. Okay. I don't remember about that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, those incidents also, um, did they know you could hear them or would you pretend like you were asleep? What do you remember from that? All I can remember was that I was pretending I was sleeping, mm -hmm. um, but I clearly remember my mom pushing my dad's hands away and, you know, calling him drunk and his, his, the mouth smells and things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it, we could uh, be pretty sure that had an impact on how you possibly saw men in general, but especially sex, this kind of thing of it's not good the woman is not going to want it or the person's imposing it's kind of disgusting or you know that that whole thing likely had an impact on how you felt about sex do you True. can you see that connection or do you feel like that had an impact absolutely yeah um i remember my mom constantly talking to us about how much your you know our dad cheats and with another woman and mm. uh, how much he, she hates men and uh, how men are not to be trusted so, hmm. you know, and I used to get really mad at my mom telling me this. Yeah, of course. Um, I was very close to my dad. Okay. 
So it, it seems like there's a fairly complicated relationship there that your dad, I don't know, as you know, you said he was an alcoholic and into drugs. Yeah. Was he around a lot or was he not around a lot? Because you're saying you were close to him. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was around. Um, but I remember him every single night going to bed drunk. And um, he sometimes would say things that were harsh to me. Hmm. Um, or would say that um, if you become a doctor, I'm going to stop drinking. Wow. If you become a doctor, I'll stop drinking? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I've heard of parents giving rewards for studying, but that's that's one I hadn't <laughs> heard of yet. Um, and did did you follow that path at all? No, I didn't. Okay. No. Then that's that's fine. And his drinking had nothing to do with your, your schooling, but um, that is a strange way of putting a pressure... On you. What do you remember feeling when he would say that? Would you actually think that was exciting or was it like a bad feeling? What, what did you feel when he made that type of a comment? I truly don't remember what I okay. felt. Um, but I just remember him saying that. And I I was only average student. I think I had ADD in school, so I wasn't a top student. So I, I could never see myself becoming a doctor. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah, now and going back to you, you said you were close with him. So how, in what ways were you close? What, what type of relationship? We had common interests. You know, like he he and I were into reading some novels, some books, watching comedy shows together, um, and also because I was a very good writer. You know, I would write essays, and I would always want to read it to him, and he mm. was always encouraging me. You know how good of a writer I am. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, most relationships are complicated, but I could see this one being very complicated that you were wanting his approval and, and, and you were getting it in some ways that really mattered to you, but also yeah. with his drinking and the way he was, you're saying he could make these negative comments. Plus, if he's drunk, a lot of the times he's also checked out a lot of the times and, you know, he's not going to really be there. And so um, there definitely could be this sense of not having him when you want to have him or having him as much as you want or knowing when you're going to get get him and you know even I was thinking of him being distant and that could be related to liking men who are distant or being comfortable with that when they're not so Mm. close because also I could see that you must have been a mixed feeling of wanting to be close to him but he was he must have been a bit scary too if he was drinking the way you were saying and sometimes getting angry or yeah at night was the only time that he would drink and then go to bed Mm -hmm. um you know the only like another traumatic um really um very painful time was when he went back to drugs Hmm. and um i would follow him going to the basement and you know i was you know spy on him you know uh, to go and do drugs and i was always so like watchful of what he's doing you know he used to take out this little piece of this inside the the smoke you know the cover of the mm-hmm. cigarette and uh, would use that to do pots mm-hmm. so I always would go and check inside his cigarette box to see if if he's doing drugs again or not and um, so I became very very cautious and, and um, you know watchful you know what yeah. he's doing yeah well it seems almost like a, a codependent type of your feeling like you had to try to stop him or know what's going on um, exactly. With him. That, that's so funny you should mention that. I, I, Through the years, I learned that I am codependent. Mm. 
Yeah. So how have you seen that in your own relationships? I feel like I find um, relationships that I can save or I can rescue someone. Mm-hmm. And with this man being so sad and so depressed, he sleeps during the day mostly and is up all night. That's what he says. You this know, is the, the person that you're currently yeah. with or this gentleman? Yeah. Okay. Um, he's very depressed. He's still mourning the loss of his daughter. Mm-hmm. And uh, many times when he mentions it, I start crying. You know, it just because I have the same, almost same age daughter and same exact name as his late daughter. That's the mm-hmm. funny part. Wow. Yeah, there's that, that obviously that connection there, but um, the sense that you're aware of this wanting to save or help the other person, uh, it makes sense. You, I'm sure, had a, such a strong desire to help your dad or save him. As a young girl, if only I could help him, then he's going to be the dad I want, or and I'll get the love I want, and and children can unfortunately personalize it very much that it's their fault if something doesn't go well, and you know if they do it right, they they'll you know fix everything, and so we continue to take that going forward that if I can just fix the person, everything is going to be okay, and there's also this feeling that if they need me, they'll never leave me. There's a safety there mm-hmm. as well that as long as I'm completely needed by the person I can have that comfort and and stability but of course uh, one we can never fix someone and two um, usually those relationships don't work so either we leave or they leave and it kind of confirms that fear all over again so the more we're talking the more it's really clear that there is so much anxiety around relationships and even when we talk about codependency that's related to wanting to control things more than we can and taking on responsibility more than we can. And so it seems like you bring that into your, your relationships um, as much as possible to protect yourself rather than let yourself experience them. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, Honey um, should say, um, the way that this man was telling me, he said, don't you think that if we have uh, intimacy, that's going to actually make me want to come back to U.S.? <laughs> Wow, um, that sounds pretty manipulative to me. Yeah. To be honest with you, that's a, you know, it seems like he's pushing very, very hard to, you know, now you're, um, it's like we're, you're like an immigration, uh, you know, <laughs> a guard or something. You know, he's making it like you're going to determine what he does. It seems like he's pushing more than to me feels like it's just something comfortable, and that's my concern. Is I, I think you, you you're torn because you also realize there's something in what he's saying that you might be holding on too much to try to control things and not letting go and you're attracted to him so you you know would look forward to enjoying that part of it too Um, but the way he's pushing you does seem a little bit like it's not going to be coming as much from you this decision which is the most important thing and you might get to that point by the time you know the time comes in a few days but um you know I, we would want this to come from you it might still feel uncomfortable whenever you decide to go in that direction but we want it to be your yeah, choice even the thought of it you know and he would say okay you know uh you have, we have to meet at 10 o'clock at night and it's going to take five hours to make love and um, i'm even very, the thought of it he's very know, am- like, very ambitious man um <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're actually had another commercial break, and I don't want to. I mean, it was a great moment to, to end because it was fun. But let's actually talk a bit more after the break because I, I want to make sure we kind of 
leave you in a place where you feel a little bit better about whatever you're going to decide to do and explore some of those issues a little bit more, okay? Okay. All right. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Before the break, we're with the caller. Let's go back to them now. Caller, still there? (laughs) Yes, I'm here. All right. Good to hear you. Let's, um, you know, we're talking about this issue that is coming up, as I said, there's a bigger problem and a smaller problem or issues we're looking at. Um, and what you shared about your upbringing, and it's very common in Middle Eastern families, sex can become a very taboo topic and or thing, to, uh, behavior, action to do. And we learn that we're bad if we do it and good if we don't. Um, and then there always is a problem, especially that happens more for women where they're told not to do it and they're so bad if they do it. But then once they're married, they're supposed to feel comfortable about it, but we can't just turn that on and off like a light switch. There's a feeling about that behavior itself um, not being okay. And I think also related to some of your own history and things you've gone through, control and, and letting go of control seems to be related to how you feel in relationships in general, but I think it, it can play a part in the sexual aspect as well. Okay, so yeah, and, and yeah, at go one ahead. point, even um, years and years ago, uh, when my dad passed away, like in, um, I don't know why, all of a sudden, um, I had a feeling that he might have um, sexually um, abused hmm. me, and I didn't remember it hmm. um, because of some comments when I was uh, like a teenager, he would make um, some inappropriate comments. Uh-huh. Um, that for some reason I kept on going flashback, you know, I kind of remember those, and I kept thinking, did something else happen in my childhood that I don't remember? Hmm. Um, and and those comments, did you remember them before he died, or they, those comments came back to you when he died? No, I remembered them, but it didn't really, yeah. you know, I didn't um, emphasize on them, I didn't focus on them. Yeah. But for some reason, like I, when I was in college, I would wear, if I would wear like something tight legging or something, my dad would make comments about how sexy it is or how it's a turn on or whatever. Um, so he wouldn't say you shouldn't wear that because it's something he would exactly. say. He would say it's it's sexy or it's. it's... Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's definitely um, inappropriate. And could it be it was just that it's. Yes, but there could have been more, especially, I mean, you also mentioned sharing a bed for, uh, you know, I guess up until Mm -hmm. a certain age. Um, Yeah. You know, the fact that it came to you after he passed, it could have not felt safe enough to think about those things or face them when he Mm -hmm. was still alive. There could have been some feeling of, okay, now he's gone. Both I can face it that he can't hurt me anymore or if he was, if he did hurt me Mm -hmm. um, or to even have those feelings come up when he's still alive. If you're trying to interact with him, it would be hard to hold on to both things of loving him or you know knowing him and and feeling those things were you still close to him at the end of his life uh yeah i would say um there were still times that he had a very bitter tongue so he might say things that are very hurtful mm-hmm. um uh you know, regard, you know, but he was very helpful during my, you know, when I was going through a divorce and I, I had two small kids that were five and eight, he was very helpful mm-hmm. in looking after them. Um, so 
so in a way I felt guilty of even thinking those things because he, he helped me a lot because I was the youngest, you know. Because of me, he left Iran and, you know, it's just... Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, we were we were okay and we were close. I mean, my kids, my especially my son, was uh, very close to him. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there's something there... Um you know, we tend to it, make people very all good or all bad when obviously no one is. And especially in childhood, if there is some trauma or things that come up, we can go stay stuck in that type of thinking. And so th- it seems like you had a hard time being mad at him or accepting these things he might have done negatively while also feeling grateful for the the good that he did. And so maybe more reason why you didn't want to face those negative parts. You just wanted to see him as good or just see the good in what he was he was doing but he was like anyone complicated and had more than one you know facet to him and some good things and some very hurtful things about Mm -hmm. how he was or having him as your father that i think you're carrying with you but going back to those comments he made now whether or not there was more than just comments if there was actions it's possible i mean it's hard obviously i can't say and even it seems like it's hard for you to recall anything but you're wondering if is that wondering just because of those comments or is there anything else that comes up for you that makes you think yeah, maybe because of those comments okay yeah um it, it's you know and but either way now of course if there's some behaviors actions happen it would probably make it worse uh, but those comments themselves we can see how they would make you feel uncomfortable with your your body yourself yourself as a sexual mm-hmm. being um so right. you know and you're saying even you wouldn't be around him and still would think you had internalized his voice of what would he think about what I'm wearing right now. Is that what you meant even when you were away from him or was when he were in college at home? No, when I was in college at home. Oh, okay, okay. So, yeah, but nonetheless, it's hard to think you wouldn't have had that with you in some way of how you feel about yourself. Do you remember having how comfortable you felt with yourself and your body and sexuality as a you know teenager going into your 20s? I never felt pretty enough. Mm-hmm. Um even though I was very, very skinny, I never felt that I was skinny. Um, I mean, my sister's comments didn't help. I mean, she was she's uh, 13 years older than me, mm-hmm. and she would always make comments, oh, you got fat, you this, that. You know, she would make these kind of comments. Mm-hmm. Um, so I never felt pretty enough. I always felt like no guy would be interested in me. Um, so I had a very bad um, self-esteem. Yeah, which seems definitely like there's um, a basis to that based on how they they treated you, that you would feel that way mm-hmm. about yourself or your sister. But then also the comments from your father and things of that sort, there could have been at some level a defense of thinking no one wants me because then you don't have yeah. to face being in a relationship, being sexual. So it, it can sound paradoxical, but you'll often see this. People will think, oh, no one wants me, and that feels so bad. And we would think, well, why might they actually want to feel that way or think that way? And we could see that it could actually be a defense, be a protection. If no one wants me, if I'm not even a candidate for those things to happen that I don't want to do, I don't have to ever worry about it. So it, it could be very complicated in that way that you might have had. Genuinely, that self-esteem was affected by these comments and things, but you might have preferred not even being able to be someone who dates or you know is sexual yeah and um, while I was waiting during commercial I was thinking of 
um, this man who who made a comment about uh, you know uh, having uh, intimacy before he goes to Iran. And I'm thinking it could be the other way around that he wants before he leaves he wants to make sure that we are intimate. So maybe I would not find someone, even though he says, "Oh, you can find anyone after you know whatever." Uh, it's part of him making sure that I am attached to him. It's possible. Um, we don't know his intentions without him telling us, and even if he does, but we know he could be telling you not the uh, untruth or not the truth about it. It's possible. I get the sense he's. The way you're talking about it, he's making it very no strings attached. So yeah. I don't get the sense he's trying to keep you more or make sure you're locked oh, okay. on him. It's possible, but it doesn't seem to me, based on what you're saying, it's very much about you can find someone else. Or I don't know. I mean, what does he say about your relationship when he goes to Iran? Does he want to continue communicating a lot? Or? You can, you can, you, you know, if I come back and you don't have anyone in your life, and I'm not going back to Iran, then we can continue. Okay, lots of ifs. Um, but w- what about when he's there? Have you talked about, okay, when he's there, you want to stay in contact or communicate? Or has he said, I'm going to be busy and I can't communicate? What's No, he says, I'm going to continue con- you know, um, communicating with you and so forth. So mm-hmm. he's going to keep in touch. Okay, and outside of this, you know, we're focusing a lot on the sexual part. How do you see him as a, a partner or a person for you to be with? See, that's another thing. Um, there are things in him that I feel that is missing in me mm-hmm. um, that attracts me. Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. carelessness, not really thinking about, yeah. you know, future all that much, doing what feels right today. Um, I have a lot of fun with him. When we're together, I laugh a lot. And, you know, we both, you know, say that we have such a good time when we're together. Mm. Uh, his personality is very, very um, live and fun, um, yeah. and it helps me also, uh, you know, to hang loose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I think it's good that you're aware of that. Uh, we often are attracted to someone who has the suppressed qualities of our own personality being expressed. Mm-hmm. So if yeah, you feel yeah. like, you know, for you rules and doing things just this right way and and being a little bit more uh, to yourself in that way is, is your norm. When you see someone who can be so free and fun um, and just let go, there's definitely something appealing uh, about that to you because it's something in you that you wish you could express more. And actually it does seem like when you're with him, some more of that does come out, which can feel really good. You probably feel much more alive because we put away parts of ourselves because we're afraid that mm-hmm. you know of what happens if we express those parts but we feel a little bit dead inside when we don't express them and then when someone allows for that it can feel very alive and feel really exciting and so it's understandable that that would feel good now there mm-hmm. does seem to be a sense that he might be so much the other way that you might not be a match long term because it would be too much of him being that way um, that's a quick judgment for me to make but it's just something for you to be aware of uh, that sometimes it's that opposites attract issue where it's actually not a healthy thing it's just something pulling you in that way so you have to be aware of that the way you're describing him it seems you know there's a lot of things that shout short term in what he's saying um and how it's unstable and and it is a very unstable situation of him going and i don't know if i'm coming back and all of those things so i would have concern if you commit too much of yourself emotionally to someone in this circumstance maybe there's something safe about that for you too that you know he's going as much as it would hurt um you know, it's kind of like 
rather than this being long distance, it's going to become long distance. And so there could be something safe in that for you. So mm. as it, you might be actually more okay with that or unconsciously more comfortable with that. So you have to think about that aspect of it as well. Um, mm. it, it seems like, you know, there's a lot for you to face. I don't know if you've gone to your own long-term therapy, but I, I would highly recommend it because a lot of what you're dealing with are some deeper issues uh, from right. the past. And if you don't address them, they will keep, you know, dictating your life because it'll be too hard for you to let go of that because I think the anxiety is is running the show in your relationship life. Yeah. And yeah. we don't I, want that. I have know? a lot of anxiety. Yeah. So I would highly recommend... I, I really enjoyed our conversation and, and therapy will be like this, but much more intense and more in depth and will allow you to explore those memories and things that happen more deeply. And it'll allow you to feel more alive from yourself. It seems like in this relationship, he's bringing some of that, which is good. And, and you'll have a partner that does that, but hopefully you can even get more in touch with that on your own. But right now I feel like you've put away lots of parts of yourself. Since it's so difficult to find uh, a good therapist, uh, yeah. I live in Florida, but it's just so difficult to find somebody who's good and in tune with you, just like, you know, what you just did in this, I don't know, 45 minutes, 40 minutes. Um, do you do out-of-state uh, counseling uh, via uh, Zoom and no, all that? Right, you know, it's complicated with the, the pandemic, the laws had become more lax but they they're changing again it's very it's a blurry thing so i can't tell you i could see you um and yes finding a therapist is the match is really important if you don't feel like the person can understand you now they no one's going to understand you perfectly but have some understanding of yeah culture can be important um and things of that nature and overall just getting a sense that they can understand you and get you is important but I would say keep looking, you know, it's actually kind of like the dating where it's like you keep looking. If you've looked, okay. keep looking, ask around. If being Iranian is very important for you, that's good. If you feel like male or female makes a difference for you, you know, look. But I'm I'm sure you'll be able to find someone and they don't have to be Iranian, to be honest with you. I think that's yeah. could I've be ideal. Since I was 15. So okay. Yeah. Really, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it might feel more ideal. Someone who's Iranian American would likely be more of a match for you and understand that. But right. I work with clients that are not Iranian and, it, you know, it can work out just fine. You know, match is not just these things on paper that we can say for sure. It's if they're Persian or not Persian, it's good or bad. Um, it's just it's a little bit more complex than that. So I would say really look for it and be ready to commit to that. Even with that, it's that, you know, there could be a fear of even committing to therapy at times. And you might even find yourself jumping around to different people trying to find, quote unquote, the wrong one, the right one. At first, I would say, yes, it's OK. But once you've met with a few, pick one and just go forward with them for six months, a year at least and, and okay. dig a little bit deeper into these things. I will definitely do that. Okay. Thank you so much my for giving pleasure. me so much time. Oh, my today. I, really I really enjoyed it. it. Thank you. I Thank enjoyed you the conversation. So Wish you all the best. Thank you so much, Doctor. Thank Have a wonderful you. New Year. Thank you. Happy New Year to you, too. Thank you. All right. Let's go to another commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Thanks for calling. Hello. Yes, Hi. You're on the oh, air. Hi, how are you today? Good, thank you. I have a question regarding um, a neurofeedback for my six-year-old. Okay. 
um, I don't know if I should start asking my questions or do you know, you, you can I mean I'll be you know uh, honest with you I don't have a um, you know I can't I'm, I'm an expert on that we could talk a bit about it it definitely could be helpful for certain different issues but yes okay. you can definitely ask your question and we can see uh, what we can get to go ahead um, so the reason I actually took him because I um, thought a little bit of a changes in his behavior during the last two years Okay. Uh, it was actually right before COVID, and he was in preschool. Um, and, you know, when COVID hit, you know, I, I felt like, you know, being home and everything got worse. And I talked to a psychologist over the phone, and a lot of people were telling me, you know, COVID really affected kids, mm-hmm. and uh, it could be a reason. Everybody's home and all that. But then when I talked to the psychologist, giving them all these um, the different things that I was seeing in him, they recommended that he might have some anxiety. And um, if we do, after a few times I talked to the psychologist, he said, uh, she mentioned if we could do um, TOVA test on him, uh, it mm-hmm. might help me figure out um, what's going on and then we can take it from there. So I actually took him to um, Dr. Mohseni last week on Friday. And not Dr. Mohammedi. I'm sorry, Mohammedi. Okay. We don't have to get. You know, I I know you wanted to share the name. We don't have to just because when we talk about someone else's. Yeah, sorry, yeah. I just that's okay. Gave the wrong name. I that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> so um, and then uh, we did the test, mm-hmm. and with all the results, he mentioned and we went over it and reading it together that he does have some anxiety and ADD. Um, because I did mention that he's actually very concentrated on things he wants to do, and I actually never thought I'm going to have any concentration issues with him at all because he was very always concentrated on things he was doing. But he did mention uh, actually kids with ADD or adult people in general with ADD actually pay a lot of attention to the stuff that they like to do and not to the other stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, he said uh, probably a minor, uh, a little bit of an OCD also, he did recommend neurofeedback for him, but I don't really have enough information about it, and I don't know what is the best resource to get information, because I, I need to figure out exactly if this is going to be a good, effective way, how many times do we have to do this exactly, how many sessions is going to be good, is it going to be really long-term or not, and if you know anything that where I can actually get some good scientific information about this, any recent studies that could help well, you know of any yeah. at all. I mean, I don't have any on the top of my head. There's obviously, yeah. when you, you Google, you know, that's like you know, the first thing I would do, uh, but most people do. And then you want to look, there's going to be more academic articles. You have to, you know, always look at who's writing the article. Sometimes if it's a center that does something, well, of course, there's going to be a bias there. Um, but, you know, you can find research on, on these things. Uh, so neurofeedback can be helpful for the things you're talking about. At six mm-hmm. years old, uh, you know, I also think yes on one hand we want to address issues as they come up and the earlier the better but we also don't yeah. want to overreact about if your child has some anxiety or a little bit of ADHD or a little OCD um, you know to really determine that those are the major issues that are going on as you mentioned COVID there's lots of things that are happening so I would also be mm-hmm. a bit cautious now neurofeedback is one of those things that it doesn't really have a, a huge negative side effect profile there's nothing we're really worried about happening but as far as making okay. the investment and, and doing things i can understand you're wondering you know what to do so before we get into the neurofeedback we will c- come back to that can you tell me a bit of what's going on with him what's happening with your son 
Um, you know, the, my major issue with him was when I realized that when he gets angry, he has a hard time controlling his emotions. Okay. And I feel like I didn't really realize this earlier because he was just very small. And I thought, you know, it's just something that he's a kid, you know, and we would mm -hmm. get better. And I actually have to say we never had any terrible two or any terrible three with him at all. I never had those issues. Mm -hmm. But I realized once he was, he was probably around four and a half, close to four and a half when I started realizing. And the other thing that was making me think of anxiety was his sleep. He was a good sleeper when he was a baby, and here and there he would wake up, but around four, four and a half, he would wake up every night until today, in the middle of the night, and he wants to come to our bed. And whatever I do just doesn't work. He would come and sleep till morning. He has no problem falling asleep again. But it's, it's just something waking him up every night. Hmm. And that was the other thing when I talked to the psychologist mentioned this could be anxiety because you know once we can figure out the anxiety part you know that's probably why is you know what is like, keeping yeah. him awake in the middle of or waking him up in the middle of the night you said ever since and he's four and a half that's been happening yes so about two years now about two years yeah, okay. he's going to be six and a half in March. yeah are there any other kids yeah we have he has an older sister how old is she eight eight okay um, you know, the sleep thing we'd also want to look at because, uh, of course, there's something waking him up, but there's also uh, something waking him up, not just the anxiety that he gets to come to your bed, you know, which he probably mm -hmm. likes that comfort of. And yeah. so, mm -hmm. and when you say every night, do you mean literally every single night? Literally every okay. single night. Even once in a blue moon, if he doesn't wake up, I get surprised. Yeah. Yeah, well, you're probably waking up at four now, too, just expecting him to, to walk in your room. Um, yeah. So, th you know, that's something I, I would think very strongly about how we can change that. And, you know, sometimes the, a frustration can build from parents when something like this happens because it, I'm sure, affects your sleep. And, you know, you've tried lots of things you said and probably basically have given up at this point and just accepted it. But parents could feel sometimes a resentment or even upset with their children. I don't know if you feel any of that about this situation with him, of him coming to your bed. I don't, you know, I I was kind of disappointed that this happened because yeah. I didn't have this with my first one. He's, mm -hmm. She's such a good sleeper. And for me, it was like, I did the same thing that I did for her. What happened here? Yeah, mm -hmm. I felt like I did something wrong, but then obviously kids could be very different. And they are actually very different, mm -hmm. very different in personality. Um, I'm not upset at him. I don't um, ever talk to him about, you know, how bad it is that you wake up and I'm so disappointed. Mm -hmm. But I always try to encourage him with different things to make him sleep in his bed. And if there is anything like, you know, we, he was in animals a lot, like buying stuff at home and having an, like a reptile or something. And we even promised that and we tried that. It didn't work. He would wake up. Um, I would talk to him and he's like, no, I just don't want it anymore. And nothing worked. Mm -hmm. So I felt like maybe it's more than that because nothing yeah. is really even keeping him happy or excited about what he wanted to get. And it might be something else that um, it's like a physiology or something that needs to be fixed to help him um, sleep too. And that's when we talked about this and then I talked about the controlling his anger and emotion because that's affecting her, the relationship with the sister too. 
because mm-hmm. he gets really mad and then she doesn't want to play anymore because she gets upset and then you see the constant fighting. They do play pretty well too, but then this happens too, obviously. Some of it is normal being siblings and yeah. they're obviously different sex, but um, some of it I see that he definitely is very set on what he thinks and if he doesn't get it, he gets really upset. And I really try to talk to him in a very, very, you know, soft voice and try to make um, make him understand, you know, let's talk, um, mm-hmm. let's talk very soft, that's not how I'm talking to you, let's, you know, lower your voice, let's see what happened, maybe we can take a deep breath, mm-hmm. maybe that's we good. go take, you know, drink a glass of water, and um, I try that, so when I, you know, told all this to the psychologist, I was talking on the phone, and um, the sleeping part and then the other thing I mentioned was every time every time he gets really he's to a point that he's getting anxious and upset about something he would scratch his body like Mm. it's itching but if you look at his skin there's nothing there you won't see anything Um, and I even took him to a dermatologist to take a look at his skin they said maybe there's a mild eczema but no there's nothing I try to put a lotion after every shower um, but I think it's like a habit or something that calms him down, maybe. Yeah. And um, I used to mention, you know, not for him not to do it, but then I stopped because then I was told and I realized it, it, it's better not to bring attention to it. And um, all of this, um, you know, added up, and then it was a conclusion that there might be anxiety going yeah. on. And it would be better if we could get some therapy or... Um, because I've been hearing your dad talking about Tova tests and all the results that could come out. So I thought about getting Tova done for him. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, a few things. One is you brought up something yourself of parenting is so hard for multiple reasons, but even when you have multiple kids, you can see that doing the same thing with a different kid, you don't get the same result because the child, you know, each child is different. So uh, everything you're saying to me points very strongly to anxiety now there could mm-hmm. be some ADHD and, and things as well, but the anxiety seems very, very pronounced, very loud. Uh, you know that that's a big part of what's going on. Even this itching—is it? Even if you're saying it's calming himself, well, yeah. What is he? Why is he trying to calm himself? He's probably feeling anxious, tense, mm-hmm. and that's why even we don't want to just focus on the scra- scratching or the itching or whatever it is, because that's not the problem. There's something leading to him dealing with it in that way. So just saying stop doing that is not the problem yeah. because something else is going on. Um, and also the anger, you're talking about anxiety, it's this feeling of wanting things to be a certain way when we're anxious, we really want it to be a certain way, and when it doesn't go his way, it, we're probably seeing that reaction that you're talking about, that he almost feels like he can't hold it in, and he reacts with anger. What you're doing, though, I think th- there's a lot of good there of trying to help him calm down, so we're not just going to take away his feelings, not going to disappear. We want to help mm-hmm. him in managing his emotions, and how to, how can he have that feeling but respond in a way that's better even for him and so helping Mm -hmm. him calm down taking deep breaths see if he can wait a few seconds things like that but uh, i think everything you're talking about points fairly strongly to anxiety being the issue Mm -hmm. yeah um so taking the tovo was you know that could be good to see if we get some kind of clarity of what's going on i know some add came up but anxiety and even some ocd was there and Mm -hmm. even that itching could there be you know that scratching could there be something related to OCD, it's possible. I, I'm, I'm not against him getting neurofeedback, and if that was suggested by a doctor, I, I try to be careful. People sometimes call in, they're already seeing a therapist or a psychiatrist, or, and I, I don't want to interfere with treatment that is ongoing in any way. Um, mm-hmm. Play therapy could also be helpful. 
Now, that could be a bit of a challenge even for myself. I haven't seen children during the pandemic unless it's in a family type setting because uh, play therapy, it's hard to do over Zoom or over, over the video uh, chatting. Yeah. Um, but you still yeah. might be able to find that you know, some places are open. So uh, that's something to look at. Play therapy for mm-hmm. him um, might be helpful as another way of approaching it. And it's not either or necessarily. You could do both. Okay. Okay, so for as far as getting more information for neurofeedback, I would just I should just Google and see. Yeah, I mean, I know I'm I'm, I'm not being very helpful with that by saying Google, no, it, but fine. but it's that I think you know there's a lot of research on it that you can find, um, uh, and you know especially and then each case is different. You know, you want to obviously look for your son at his age and certain things. That's more important than you know if there's something on teenagers. But you know, there's definitely can be benefits to it. Um, I think also uh, I wouldn't look at something like this like well he's going to get neurofeedback and his anxiety goes away he, you look like you have an anxious son and he's going to mm-hmm. have some anxiety no matter what you do we want to make it less make it more manageable i think the sleeping issue is something to really look at because you know almost two years of it being an every night thing it's going to be very hard to break and and that's actually why when i brought up the frustration it wasn't that i obviously i don't think you should be frustrated with him but i can understand a frustration and especially mm-hmm. i was thinking when you try to change this we have to realize how difficult it's going to be on all of you, but especially on him to change mm-hmm. this, the sleeping, you know, so you might get frustrated in that process of if you try to you know, try again to get him to stay mm-hmm. in his bed, which will involve, you know, when he wakes up, staying with him till he falls asleep. And even that's going to be tough. He's like, no, no, this is not how we do things. I come to your bed. I fall asleep. We're, we're all happy with this. But so changing, yeah. it's going to be challenging because he's so used to that being the way things go and that's what i also was thinking of the frustration that i can imagine when you try to change it he's going to resist really hard and so you know it's going to be a process we want to make him part of the process we have to know there's going to be lots of setbacks it's not going to be smooth sailing and it's going to be probably harder for everyone for a while you're probably all going to get a little bit less sleep while you try to make this happen and we might have to accept that that's part of the process to get to, to a goal of having him be able to spend the night in his own bed okay Okay, thank you so much, Dr. Sure, I really sure. appreciate your My time. My pleasure. Good luck. Thank you. Have a good day. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, let's go to our last commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, this is my last show of 2021. And as a result of that, it could be a good time to think about next year and what you want to do. Really, there's no reason why January 1st should be the time to set goals or to think about our lives, but it does seem to happen that we are very much uh, connected to calendars and the way time goes forward. Even if you think about it a week, when, when Monday comes around, it feels like something new is starting, even though really there's no reason to think of it that way or it doesn't have to be seen that way. But we tend to have that feeling where the first of the month. And then, so, of course, we can think if you're in a different country with a different calendar, your first of the month is different than theirs. So there is an arbitrariness to it, uh, but nonetheless, the way that we conceptualize time has a big impact in how we feel about things. And so as we go forward, um, this in a way is related to what I brought up at the beginning of the show, talking about goals and realizing it's still going to be you in that next year. It's not going to be a new you, um, but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't set some big goals for ourselves and to see what we can do to improve on ourselves. So. Um, Yes, I said it's not going to be a different you, but if I didn't believe that people could change, I would not do this show and I would not be a therapist because the whole goal there is to make 
things change or to make improvements. Does it mean they're going to be huge and sweeping all of a sudden? Genuine change is slow and takes time, but makes it even more meaningful and lasting. And so I hope as people reflect on goals and, you know, people tend to have the typical goals of getting in shape, losing weight, quitting something they're doing, doing more of something like reading, exercising, or some new skill. And all of those can be good. And on previous shows, and maybe at the beginning of the year, I'll talk about it again. You know, I'll talk about things like setting smart goals, which are specific, measurable, um, attainable, meaning that it's hard, but something you can achieve relevant to you and then time oriented meaning it has some kind of like a time limit so losing let's say 20 pounds in three months or quitting smoking by a certain date you know it could be good to look at how you set your goals to make you more or less likely to succeed what i wanted to talk about now is when we look at uh, the new year often what people do is they also reflect on this last year and look forward which i think can be good Again, we can and probably should do this more often than just uh, when it comes to the changing of the year, but it does tend to make us think that way. Uh, Birthdays usually make that happen for people as well, or specific anniversaries can do that. But New Year's can definitely be one where people look at themselves and their lives and things of that sort. One thing I hope people will also think about when we're looking at goals is our relationships. Now, this is an interesting one because usually when people set goals, of course, we can get support and help from people and might even get a coach or a trainer or therapist or different things to help us with certain things. But nonetheless, they're usually personal goals, meaning that they're more in our control. If you are going to stop smoking cigarettes, a lot of factors affect that. But at the end of the day, it's about you and done by you and solely by you. But when we're talking about relationships, of course, we're talking about you and someone else. So only 50% of it really, we could say, is in your control when we're talking about relationships between two people. But nonetheless, I hope people will look at their relationships and think, how can I improve those? How can I make those better in the coming year and, and in the future? And so what that entails is first, like a lot of things, you have to do an inventory. Look at those important relationships in your life especially if you're a if you're in a committed romantic relationship have a husband or wife or boyfriend or girlfriend a partner that that's one if you're a parent very important to look at that one how am i as a parent in my child's life there we can maybe say you have more than 50 percent uh if you have a young child especially it could be even more way more than that because you can impact the relationship significantly and even other family members, close friends. But think, take a look at those relationships and really look at them as how good are they? And by good, you can look at a lot of things. Um, of course, if we're having big problems, those stand out really uh, largely. And we hear those very clearly. There's these fights we're having or disagreements we're having. Uh, but also how much good is in that relationship? And how close do I feel? Where is the emotional intimacy in my relationships and of course different relationships we can expect different things or have a different ceiling for that if you're in your romantic relationship you can achieve some very very strong and deep emotional intimacy with a friend it might be less than that so uh, or definitely can be less as far as the ceiling so we we can think about that how close am i with this person in my life 
And then now what can I do to change that? Now, the what you can do has a few facets to it as well. There's things you can just change in your behavior. So you might realize, you know what? I'm going to reach out to this person more from my end. Or it could be, I want to say nicer things to my partner or learn their love language or if I already know their love language, do more things that are loving towards them. And so that is a very big part of it is what can I do? And of course, if we're looking at a relationship and seeing what the problem is, uh, really, we can only change our side of things. So we can't say, oh, they need to be nicer or they need to stop doing this. That's going to be the second part I'll talk about can involve that. But really, you have to look at what's in my control. What can I change in my relationship to make it better? And if you're saying nothing, then that tells me you're really not looking closely enough or you are not able to be critical with yourself in the sense of actually looking at how you can grow. Because if you think you're perfect in any of your relationships, I have news for you. You're not because you definitely can be better and it takes uh, a strong person actually acknowledge those weak points. You're not strong if you think you have no issues. It means you're just blind to them and are too afraid to look at them. So there's no strength in that. If I meet with a couple and they say we have no issues, I'm very sad to hear that because I know it doesn't mean they don't have issues. It just means they have no awareness of the issues that they have because every relationship has issues, has problems, has areas that are weak and areas that can be strengthened. That's just how it is in any relationship with two, between two people. So I hope you'll take a look at that and how can I be better in my relationships and especially the closer ones? How can I be a better partner? And then also there's something about what's going on between you and your partner that is not all on you, but that's something that you could then talk to your partner about or whoever this relationship is with, that here are some of the issues I think we have, or I want us to create a more emotionally intimate relationship. I've, I've worked with couples in therapy where at times that's become the main goal. It wasn't necessarily some big glaring problem was there, but creating a depth of emotional intimacy is what we were trying to create. And why this is important is for a few reasons. One is, well, it feels amazing. If you are in an emotionally intimate relationship, that closeness, that support, that connection is probably the greatest thing we can experience as, as humans. And it's a longer lasting feeling, not like some kind of a high. It's just a feeling that that's there. So we have an incredibly nice feeling when we have that emotional intimacy. At times I use the analogy of climbing a mountain. The harder you work to create that emotional intimacy, the higher you get, the more beautiful the view you get to enjoy. So you get to enjoy that. And then on top of that, it makes your relationship stronger when you have more of a deep emotional connection so that you can withstand the things that life will throw your way, which is both external things happen on the outside, even like something like COVID or you go through a financial challenge or a health challenge or something happens that's out of your control or things that come up within the relationship, which inevitably will happen as well. So it also strengthens the relationship. It's kind of like the roots of the relationship, the deeper and the stronger they go, the more that tree can withstand some winds that are that are hitting it and coming its way. So for those reasons, it's very important to do that. So you can talk to your partner about how can we create a better relationship. And so that wording there is very important. It's not you need to become better in these ways to make our relationship work out um, or this is what's wrong with you. It's that how can we create a better relationship together? And again, 
every relationship one has issues and two can be stronger or better or improve you can make that emotional and intimacy increase in your relationship so again if you're thinking either i'm doing nothing wrong in this relationship or there's nothing wrong in our relationship or it can't be better that just tells me you're not looking at it closely enough accurately enough objectively enough and openly enough to being open to seeing what's there and hopefully your partner will be receptive to that that let's look at that not everyone will be and so this is again where we look at the issues of only some of it is in your control you can't control your partner's willingness to want to work on things to make things better and then what they do in that process if they actually agree to do so uh, a lot of this working on relationships is tough work I think anyone you'll ever meet will say I want to work on my relationship I want to do that work it's you know it's one of those things everyone says but most people don't do the hard work to make it happen. Just like everyone says, I want to exercise or be healthy or I want to read more. But not everyone does it because it isn't easy. It takes hard work. It takes dedication. And with working on relationships, it takes a lot of going into uncomfortable places, having uncomfortable conversations, looking within ourselves at things that might be uncomfortable to look at, whether it's from our past or weaknesses or things that we currently are, are bringing with us and genuinely looking at them. So... You, you can't control your partner's willingness. You can control how you ask them about it. And the more loving you can make it, the more collaborative you can make it, the less you blame them that they are the problem they need to change. But make it a we type of a issue, you can be more likely, but still there's no guarantee of how they'll respond. But I hope people think about that when we look at our lives, because it's interesting that we know relationships are the things that make life more meaningful and the things that contribute most to our overall well-being and emotional well-being and happiness long term but we often don't think of them in this way the same way we do about other goals that we set where we think about making something better we often do think mostly about the personal um, which makes sense that's much more in our control and there's many more facets to that but we don't often think about how can I make my relationships better? And especially those most important relationships, how can those be better going forward? What kind of goals can I set there? And the goals might be less tangible, like reading two books a month or something like that. The numbers might be a little bit different, but there can be some principles that you're trying to get to, some values of emotional intimacy, closeness. How do you feel in the relationship that are more subjective, but are very, very valuable. And you can still look at them and evaluate them and make it something that you work on together. So I hope you'll think about that as you're setting your goals, reflecting on your 2021 and thinking forward to 2022 and beyond. How can I improve my relationships in my life? All right, that brings us to the end of today's show. Thank you to all the callers and everyone out there wishing you a happy new year, and I'll be with you early in 2022. Have a wonderful day.